What's up guys, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. This is episode 14. I can't really believe it, but we went on this crazy ride. We got some crazy growth. Our Twitter numbers are up. It's really, really exciting. Uh, if it's your first time, we talk about cannabis on this show. We talk to early stage founders, we talk to investors, we talk to lawmakers, and today we're gonna to talk to a marketer. Because it's super, super hard in cannabis for some reason to do marketing. Uh, it's a semi-legal sort of nature of this industry. Uh, and there's challenges specific to a cannabis startup that no other startup has. Uh, and that's exactly what we're gonna talk about today. So Matt Cote, welcome man, how are Hello. you? Doing well, how are you? I'm doing really, really well. I can't believe that we're here and look at this crew and your girlfriend's here. We got 4K, we're all 4K all day now, man. Yeah, all right, that's it's a butt. It's dope. It's good to see. So why is branding marketing so hard in this industry? Well, it's unique. I'd say the brand concept in our regular economy plays a big role in the valuation of a company and how serious the public takes any enterprise. So when you discuss cannabis, it becomes now you're bringing a social justice conversation to the table. You're talking about the politics of industrialized prisons and you're bringing some social experiment into a place where money is changing hands for product. Mm. And so suddenly now with movements like organics or farm fresh and you know shade grown, all these things that people are already used to, they're now saying, you know what, I have spiritual desire behind my purchase. And if I'm going to engage in cannabis, which has kind of been protected as something that's been my world, it's been my sanctuary, and now I'm going to go to a store and buy it. I want my identity to be there. Mm. I want my identity to carry on into the market. You want to identify with the values consistent. Exactly. So they start asking questions. Before, it was just a baggie of cannabis, and it was, was it great or did it suck? And that was it. That's the black market, and that will forever be the black market. Once you're able to have regulations, it's how well do people accelerate in this regulated environment? How well are they following the rules, and why are they exceptional? Brand plays a huge role in somebody's ability to judge from a distance if your product is exceptional. Got it. And uh, I guess I guess the question is like, as we're coming up in this in this industry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, why doesn't a person's product just speak for itself, right? Like you work with with Auntie Dolores. I know you've brought it on an assortment previously. of things previously that you work with Auntie Dolores. Sure. And. They have a great product, right? They why, do. why do they need someone like you? Why do they need extra help with branding? There are a lot of great products. Yeah. And there are shelf space. You go to the grocery store and you're not just asked at the door, what would you like, sir? We'll bring it to you. You're left to your own devices to march around in these aisles and find what you like. Mm-hmm. Your preferences, your opinion, your judgments all become relevant. And branding can convey the value proposition that's most relevant to you on an individual basis. Ani Dolores is on the shelf with very many other brands, a lot of brownies, a lot of offerings that are very similar. What makes Ani Dolores unique? What makes Ani Dolores you? is something that you have to answer. All Ani Dolores could do is put up these values and say, look, these are all the things you could choose to pay attention to, which one matters to you? Mm-hmm. And that's where demographics become relevant and you start to say our packaging must set us apart in the space before any questions are asked. Yeah. So and a lot of times the products depend on the bud tender. The bud tender is a person that's talking about these products, they've tried it, they like it. Other than that, you're really not getting presence on the shelf or an opportunity to touch the consumer prior to them talking to the bud tender. The packaging is your best chance at sort of carving out your own presence. So with Ani Dolores, it was interesting because we used to have these black bags. They're very typical. They're just pouches, but they're wasteful. Mm-hmm. So there was no real character to that. It, it was looks just a little a sketchy, wrapping. right? It's it does. Just like, yeah. a, and it was black. I yeah. really didn't like that it was just so representative of something that's ever-present and there's darkness everywhere. Right. You had this little tiny doily just desperate to break out of this darkness. <laughs> with Ani Dolores, the step up 
I didn't want to abandon the fact that people already respected that packaging. It did have credibility. And in the real world, because it, it was like discreet, right? Sure. Is well, that and, the... and it was branded. Yeah. There was a package that was sealed. It was heat sealed. Mm. It was lab tested. It, the, the ground was floor. You know, mm. you either didn't do it or you did do it. That was branding back in 2008 and leading up to what the market is now. Before regulated, regulated markets like Colorado, nobody knew what it meant or why you needed to. Brands like Anita Dolores were cunning, and Bang Chocolate was ahead of their time to see the value of lab testing built into the credibility of their packaging, mm-hmm. the credibility of their product. Mm-hmm. And now you wanted to wrap it in something that conveyed these values to the consumer without anybody talking. That's the job of the packaging. That's the job of the brand. Yeah, I just want to highlight some of those packaging. So you talked about like targeting certain demographics. So sure. with this Antidolores, this is a peanut butter brownie bite. Mm-hmm. Looks delicious, by the way. And so when you're designing this packaging, uh, you know, what are you going for here? What, what, who does this speak to? Sure. Well, it's interesting. You're trying to figure out somebody who really hasn't answered any questionnaires. You don't right. know anything about them. Right, right. And it could potentially be a grandmother, a grandchild, a college student. A sick person with epilepsy, it could go everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of distilling the facts that they need to know in order for them to answer their own questions that they may not even have yet. Mm-hmm. So with old packaging, it was very hard to see how many milligrams were in the product. Mm. What were the ingredients? What does the lab test mean? What is THC? Is that the number I care about? With our new packaging, with their new packaging, it was conveniently placed right on the front. Mm. And then we started to... F- walk through the framework of now that we want to brand, what are the rules? Can we talk about nutrition facts? Apparently in San Francisco, you're not allowed to list those. San Francisco doesn't believe that edibles are food, they're a medicine. Mm. So you have to pick, Mm. is it a food or is it a medicine? It's a medicine. Therefore it has to say medical cannabis on the front in the same size as the product description. And there's no nutrition facts, so I have no No. idea. So you'd have to go online and actually find them. But you could find them on the website if you yes. wanted to. Yeah. But that's very interesting, right? Because we're talking about a brownie. Right. Right. You might be very curious about yeah. how many calories a are in that brownie. Take potentially, right? That's yeah. what they say on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very interesting gap in the sort of semi-legal nature of this, sure. right? Because if the FDA gets involved, then that's absolutely, absolutely critical. Right. Right. Cool. So let's talk about some other things on this table. Bank chocolate, which I'm familiar with. It's a very popular brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what what came about this packaging? I mean, how does it... So tell me about I the process work on this bit. packaging, but okay. I worked on... Brand. So this is an interesting conversation because this is where you have a firm that develops the product. Mm-hmm. So you have marketing and you have branding. They're not the same. This packaging is a form of marketing in that you're telling people this is our product. Mm-hmm. But now this is stagnant on the shelves and nobody really knows the story behind it or why they should engage or why this product has integrity. That's where the voice on social media, for instance. So they came to you and they said, we have this great product. Mm-hmm. We're happy with the packaging. Mm-hmm. We want more people to know about it. Oh, yeah, I, I actually approached them because they were working with a laboratory. Back, you know, <laughs> in 2007, I went to CW Analytical because I was just interested in talking to a lab. Yeah. And they had helped co-develop Bang Chocolate. Okay. Bang Chocolate was consistently homogenized in that. It was always consistent. It's chocolate. So you'll find cannabinoids consistently throughout the whole bar. You won't break off a little corner of extra potency. I see. It just didn't happen. And that was a new precedent in the industry back then. I knew that from a product standpoint, that's great. From a consumer standpoint, they don't realize that that's even relevant, that that could be possible, or that they should be more curious about the brownie they're taking a bite of, if they're going to share it with their parent especially, hmm. or their child. Hmm. So with Bang, I wanted to distill that messaging and bring it out there via social media to help the dialogue happen from an education standpoint so that people knew how they could judge a good brand. Mm-hmm. We all know how to judge great shoes. We all know how to judge a great car. How do you judge a great cannabis product mm. if there's nobody telling you how to do so? Mm. It can't just be, it's just good bro. 
It has to be a little bit more sophisticated than that. And how do you judge it, in, in your opinion? I mean, how do you go... The labs are, I'd say, the most objective. Right now, a lot of people push back, and they're right to say that the lack of standards within even the labs world doesn't allow us to understand if a product is consistent from one to the next, if they're going from one lab to the next. So if you bring it to lab A, it's going to be X, and if you bring it to lab B, it's going to be Y. Mm. And that's really hard to do when you have a big market like California. And is that a lack of standardization or yeah. regulation? Or so what? in typical labs, you have ISO gradation, which is saying our methods are proven standards, and everybody else uses these proven standards, therefore all of our results will be cohesive and relevant from a scientific standpoint. Our labs, these labs, are just kind of arbitrarily picking. Because nobody's out there from a federal standpoint or any regulatory body that could say, this is how cannabis should be regulated. Mm. But in agriculture and any other commodity, you have that going on. But the lab is really only one part of the quality, right? I mean, that could tell sure. you potency or if it's safe, right? Yeah. No mold or anything mm -hmm. like that. But what are the other parts? I mean, how- That's the brand story. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's where you're talking about bang chocolate being artisanally crafted. That this was a chocolatier who knows where the beans are coming from and is involved in the cacao process so that this is quality chocolate. If you bring Bang to any grocery store, Whole Foods for instance, it's surprising how the ingredients of this, just from a chocolate standpoint, don't appear in other products. Mm. This is exquisite, mm. captivating chocolate. Got it. This is an experience. Captivating. Yeah, like and that. it's complemented by cannabis. Cap cannabis is just the base note in something that's very magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> well said, my friend. Well said. Okay, so let's say I uh, have a new edible business, okay. right? And I think I've made the best cannabis popcorn in the whole world. I probably have. I probably have, right? And uh, But I have no idea how to get the word out. Sure. Uh, but I come across your name or I see you on Investing in Cannabis. What, what can you do for me? I mean, how does that process start? Sure. Well, first I'd make sure you have your website solid that you have your social media account solid, consider your brand, how close it is to other ones, what the position is. So off the bat, I could just give you an assessment of what the market really is doing and where your potential position could be okay. and how that is most valuable to you. Hmm. One of the interesting was is Darkheart, because Darkheart was coming out with a vaporizer pen and working with Bang, Bang already has a vaporizer pen. Okay. But what was interesting with Darkheart is that this industry is very small in that the the mainstream consumer can't pursue cannabis products legally yet. So a lot of people consume cannabis from their neighborhood drug dealer in LA. Mm. They just don't go to the dispensaries yet. Mm. As more people come in, the milligram of expectation is gonna lower so that low dose products like Darkheart and their sophisticated approach to the market becomes more relevant. They're building out the left side of the field mm. where Bang is the right side. Mm. And you'll have you know, Open and all these other competitors giving you the pure oil where for many people, that's way too much. So you right. have to dilute it, and once you dilute it, now you're talking, well, how are we diluting it in a special way? It can't just be weaker, because nobody wants that. That's not the Miller Lite, but it is the more sophisticated approach to vaporizer. Got so it. you're getting these terpenes, you're getting this science that's there, and that could be intriguing to a certain consumer. Hmm. And that's where it's intriguing to work with products like that, because you're solidifying a diversified market, and you're proving that there are these demographics out there that may not, integrate yet because they don't have a comfort zone. Mm. Very cool. You talked about social media a little bit, yeah. which is which is a tricky area it in is. this business. I mean, it's something that we've struggled, honestly, with our show, too. Mm -hmm. Just like, uh, of course, we are on all the normal channels. Sure. Uh, but you can't do any advertising. Every time we post a video, I try to boost that shit, and it yeah. turns me down every time. <laughs> Most frustrating thing ever, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do you do that others don't do? I mean, what, why are you so good at this? Well, Facebook sent me a note 
personally to say, stop trying to put promoted posts or we're going to ban you from using Facebook. Wow. Because you were just hitting that button all damn day, right? Well, from other angles. So I'd be like, (laughs) well, this client was United Patients Group and they are sophisticated education for the, not even the consumer, the patient strictly. And they're very much so interested in getting the word out about a lecture series that they're doing. So it's, you know, it hit all the okays for Facebook and I posted it. And they pushed back. And so I pushed back and said, look, this is education. And it kept being a one-on-one instance. Can this ad go? Can this ad go? Can this ad go? Till eventually they just lowered the bar and said, there's no way any of these. Just mm. they, they go back to a website that mentions the word vaporizer, even though it's a lecture series. So they were just tying it through to where it just tied my hands. So I really had to rely on organic post yeah. and the quality content yeah. from people that care. And that's where having a graphic design ability and having the networking savvy and the writing savvy to go out and say, let's make something that starts a conversation that inherently kept inherently conveys value to your brand, which is like with Bang Chocolate. We focus on education and we said the edible approach, how you consume edibles, 101. These are things that people cared about. Mm-hmm. And if you gave them facts, they would inherently trust your brand because you're delivering that paradigm. Got it. And that's something that I it's know trust. all avenues of the it's industry. Trust. Correct. And it's very important from the grower to the extract manufacturer, to the edibles, to anybody touching any brand. It really comes down to education. Then it's a matter of what level of expertise do you have on that topic? Do you know how to speak eloquently about medicine without pissing off the FDA? When we were working with treatables, you know, the the edibles, so Ani Loris launched a CBD dog treat edibles line, treatables. And working with that, we had put a website together. And as I started to write the language, it was, well, we can't allege that this helps with anything because it's not FDA regulated. Mm. Nobody was really talking about that yet. Mm. I was very structured in going through and combing all the language and putting out links to all the studies and using structured language that prevented us from getting a letter when all these other edible ah. companies said, you can't, you know, the FDA came out and said, you can't have this language on your site. You're alleging that this Schedule 1 narcotic helps with epilepsy. So a company should hire you not just for your branding expertise, but, right. but liability control, and right? It's still brand, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's all-encompassing. That's yeah. all-encompassing. So clearly you have all these skills, right? I mean, you have like on-the-ground sort of social marketing skills as well as like the brand strategist at a high level. Sure. I come from a deep startup background. Cool. And people like you are very highly in demand. Sure. I wonder why cannabis? Good question. Well, I grew up in, I was born in New Jersey, grew up in South Florida, educated in North Carolina, and there became politically active in sort of the skateboard realm and quickly realized that all the skateboarder people that were now safe to skateboard on campus consumed cannabis. I liked cannabis, so I started to get a bit educated watching documentaries. It wasn't until we moved to California that my father was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And that cancer diagnosis is something very serious that you kind of feel obligated to learn something new. I'm going to solve the problem. So I started to dig around. Slowly but surely, only because of my comfort level with cannabis in the language, did I realize that there were studies out there that showed that if you inject Delta 9 THC into these tumors, they're shrinking half size, Mm -hmm. that there are known mechanisms by which cannabis kills cancer cells. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I felt obligated to sort of pitch my dad on the whole premise. But you know, 50s person, he's not that into cannabis. So I really needed to learn how to speak eloquently and bring the studies and research to where I bought textbooks and was pitching to my parents to say, look, cannabis should be incorporated in his daily regimen. And eventually they took it seriously. Not only did they take it seriously, but their doctors became so excited that this was something that was going on. However, that enthusiasm had a divergent line. You had Stanford Hospital and you had UCSF, 
UCSF was very much so into cannabis. Dr. Donald Abrams, he is an enthusiast of cannabis. He's an expert. I encourage anybody to watch his videos because I learned a lot from watching his discussions and attending lectures okay. from him. Cool. But now suddenly, I don't have an MD. I don't have a PhD. I have a doc. You know, I have a BS in writing. So how am I going to I have a BS in BS. Yeah. So <laughs> That's kind of what everybody has first. High school happens And a lot of us. debt, right? That's yeah. <laughs> Took care of that, though. Good, nice. But it's interesting because I suddenly now felt obligated to argue with physicians in their hospital about my dad, who was their patient, who we're paying exorbitant amounts of money for because they have the expertise, but they knew nothing about cannabis. It struck me that if my family had been a bit more educated and it was part of their paradigm already, they would have been a bit more comfortable to stand on the podium when the physician asked, what's in your system? Because mm. you're not that comfortable with narcotics. You don't want that. You're consuming something that's grown in a garden and you'd like to keep that consistent in your life. Just because now you have a serious ailment, why do you have to stop consuming that compound? THC is just another compound. Curiously, bringing this conversation up there perpetuated my want to go online and start telling people the facts and just saying, you know what? There are these links that I don't even have to have an opinion in the matter. I could just grab all these studies, mm. distill them into tweets, and use them to sort of sell this application that I had made for my father. It was just a, a way to navigate cannabis. Officially, it was eye strain guide, but I was simply just writing down subjective what this strain would do. Because I realized that if my dad went to the dispensary alone, he'd have no way of Just anecdotally, kind yeah. of what this will do to you. And that's yeah. when it's like, yeah, I was doing that, but what does it help? It's really subjective. It doesn't help anybody. The studies, the science, and then the laboratories drew my attention. Mm -hmm. And once I found the labs, then I found products that were using the labs, and that's how I found my way into cannabis was, mm. I don't want to just sell anything. It's pretty easy. Everybody, nobody wants to be sold on anything, but everybody wants to buy something. So if you make something seem alluring, everybody wants one. Cannabis already has this huge <laughs> respect for it as a product, so I don't really have to do anything. However, I don't want people to be able to respect it so that the implication of this new commodity in the economy has positive implications. Mm. That it's not just, oh, a new cigarette, oh, a new alcohol, but that people are getting let out of jail because they're no longer possessing a schedule in narcotic. Mm. That people aren't addicted to oxycodone because cannabis is in the hospitals and it's an alternative. Mm -hmm. This is something that's unique. And there are very few commodities that anybody has so many questions about. I mean, if this was something that was found in the Amazon last year, it would be everywhere already. Mm. So your mission is very similar to ours in that uh, we're trying to gain some legitimacy sure. for this industry. Mm -hmm. uh, we're strong believers that there's people that need it for their medicine, they right? But there's also people that, you know, work hard all day and just want to come home and blow off some steam. Yeah. Uh, and it's no different than wine or a glass of scotch sure. or any, any other vice that you need at the end of the day, right? It's and, more of a device than a vice. Okay. Cannabis okay. is a device. What do you mean by that? So it, it can function in your day-to-day -day life. You are not going to be binge-consuming cannabis if you're taking it on a day-to-day -day basis. 20% of mothers in this country are prescribed Wellbutrin. I had a discussion with a psychiatrist who wanted to know why I took cannabis daily. I explained it. I asked her why she's on the prescription that she is. She was infuriated that I brought that up. That's a very personal question. So to me, philosophically, I'm comfortable with what I'm consuming. It is a part of my composition, it is constructive element. It is a device. Hers was handled more as a vice. She's embarrassed that she depends mm. on this pill. Mm. Cannabis is just utilizing a system that exists within your body. Most people don't eat healthy. Most people don't exercise. Most people don't get enough sun. Most people don't have enough positivity in their day-to-day -day life. Cannabis allows you to welcome in the sun. Mm. That's it. 
And that simple action gives you the sanctuary you need, gives you the inner peace you need, where confidence is brewed. And from there, you could be a better person. You care enough to care. Mm. There's a great show, Boondocks, uh, animation. That's on Adult Swim. And there's an episode where Granddad starts to consume medical cannabis. And he goes through the whole experience of the stigma. And the stigma eventually pushes him away from using it, whereas he has to do these public service announcements saying how he's embarrassed that he used to smoke weed, and now he no longer does, and he's sorry. But the flip side was that he was the most positive person, this granddad that really was resentful to his grandkids, <laughs> was now waking up early and cooking him breakfast whistling. Yeah. And the whole table is covered with everything. In his mind, they think you know, that he's going to eat the bacon. But he's not going to eat the bacon. He's just going to eat the Cheerios. These are the best Cheerios he's ever had. <laughs> just that element of appreciation. You're able to marvel again. And it's using a natural system. So it's not a vice. It's a device. So... Because you're all about branding, I think that you're sort of uniquely positioned to know about how we feel about it as a country, Mm -hmm. right? So in our little pocket in San Francisco, everything is acceptable, right? Right. The law is sort of irrelevant. I mean, people smoke on the street, you smoke outside of bars, and and there really is not much stigma involved, particularly if you're in the startup or cannabis industry, obviously. But, you know, what what does middle America think about this at this point? I I know it's easy to talk in stereotypes, but any idea, like, what's actually going on and and how they think about it? You know, like, San Francisco is funny because it is a bubble, but we do live in the 7 by 7 So in the 60s, people used to use the word square to say that somebody was too normal. San Francisco, they are, we're in the square and we are square in that we think normal is way beyond what America is really comfortable with. So in the Midwest, in Illinois even, where they do have medical cannabis, most people don't understand how to engage with the product. They think that people are just going to be just smoking joints down the street and that's the inevitability of legalization. They don't want that in their neighborhood, they fear for their children, so it's very much so 1991 still. Fortunately, you have legal markets where all these great numbers are coming from. And you're finding out that cannabis collected more taxes for the state in Colorado than alcohol. Mm. That's the first time in the history of America. That's insane. That's a huge precedent. And that's something that you could give to somebody and say, how interesting. What do you think? And that's really the only thing you need to start doing. There's no preaching. I don't want to preach and I don't want to force any ideas into somebody's world. You just have to have the confidence to engage with it. And if it seems like you're going to go into a back alley to talk about marijuana, you're never going to do it. But if now your doctor's asking you about medical cannabis in the hospital, you're suddenly taken off guard and wondering Mm. where your paradigm went Mm. because suddenly now it's 2015 and almost the entire Western seaboard of America has legalized it. And where does the bulk of your business come from? And I I know we've we've worked with a lot of similar people in California, but are you seeing things uh, in more in Southern California, outside the state? I mean, where, yeah. where are you coming So, you know, Bang Chocolate's in several states. Yeah. Steep Hill's in several states. Yeah. Ani Loris is dreaming of such. <laughs> and then in California itself, we have multiple states. We yeah. have SoCal, we have Middle Cal, and then we, we have do. NorCal, yeah. Green Cal. Up in Humboldt has been where my discussion is starting to go a lot, simply because I love the education, I love the story, mm-hmm. and I want to help great people succeed. There is a different breed of America up in Humboldt. Mm. They are so capable that they make me feel happy to be American. Living in certain states or going around and just seeing how people behave, listening to the president's speech about another mass shooting, you start to wonder where the American identity sits. And it's not blatant capitalism. People want to be compassionate, but it's somewhat of an embarrassment if you care for the wrong person. So everybody's waiting to figure out who you are for them to care and align themselves with you. Mm-hmm. I just want California to 
qualify the right people in the industry from top to bottom and to say that the farmer deserves a seat at the table because every root of the industry starts in their property, mm. literally. The entire flow comes from these people. And they've been upholding this industry for so long that most of the technologies and the techniques that they haven't mastered are built on something that has broken families up, put yeah. people in jail. Yeah. So they've been at the front lines of risk. For them to get cut out would be bad. I think brand is their best method yeah. for qualifying who they are, what they are, and why they're doing it. And that way the economy will then recognize that, oh, the favorite flower that I thought this dispensary earned four awards for was really grown by this person. Mm -hmm. And that's where my loyalty lies. And, dispensary will... Yeah. yeah. And the inherent risk for the growers yeah. has kept them sort of mysterious in yeah. a way, right? Absolutely. Like we would love to have a big grower on this show, right? And talk about that whole, well, if you have an intro, that'd be amazing. Sure. But um, <laughs> yeah, they're a little reluctant, right? They yeah. don't want to come out and Rightfully talk to so. me. And I agree, right? There's a yeah. lot of risk there. Absolutely. But I wonder, you know, what has to change for that to change? Protection, framework, ordinances. Yeah. Where they're doing it, everybody thinks it's wrong. Some places, this is kind of right. Other places, your neighbor is putting you at risk by doing something stupid in another world. You, you have cows walking onto people's properties where they don't have any fences up, they're cultivating illegally in the middle of a forest, and they're putting a bad spin on what somebody's doing at their home farm where there's fences up and there's everything regulated as best they can. Yeah. They just need a framework where they know that these are the rules and this is what you can do. And they need to feel comfortable knowing that their hand will be held long enough for them to find their real position in the industry. They just don't want to be cut out. Nobody wants to be cut out. And the market globally is massive. And these people are all needed on that level. California is the first stepping stone towards that. It could easily be monopolized considering how the framework works in the state. Mm -hmm. Colorado doesn't have the cultivation like we do here. I've never seen a 15-pound plant until I went up to Humboldt. Mm. And this is on a no-till farm where they're not cutting up the land, dripping water everywhere. And it is biodiversity. They are doing sophisticated agriculture for a commodity that's appreciated like gold. Yeah. Yeah. That can help people get out of cancer. We got to uh, take a trip up there together, man. Let's do it. Like, That'd you be got awesome. some good people. Oh, we could, be we could do time. a little like documentary style deal, you know, like walk around She's with a camera up. and stuff. Let's plan it. Good stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. we'll get that done. We'll get that. Done. So take me back to your process a little bit, right? A, sure. a potential customer comes to you. Sure. And how does that get started? I mean, uh, you know, what, what are the kind of questions do you ask? How do you learn about uh, what the brand should be? First, what they're making, what they intend to be making. Sometimes they're not where they want to be. Then knowing who they think their consumer is, which consumer they'd like to be more appealing to, how they cultivate their product or how their product comes to be, look at the process and just look for little gems in the mine. You know, you're just looking for those rocks that everybody else would think is so interesting, but they kind of think it's boring because I just do it every day. Mm -hmm. But the coconut oil extract is amazing and that's relevant. So bringing these qualities forward and that polish thing off and then ensuring that all elements of the brand conveys this consolidated philosophy is my expertise and then knowing how that becomes relevant to the market mm -hmm. so instead of just building a logo I'm positioning you as a brand within something that I know is solid to where you're not just a boat thrown in during a hurricane but you're leaving the port with a celebration so people know you exist and then how does pricing work I mean do they pay for that sort of consultation or you know at what point do they, they pay you I guess yeah well I like people so I'm willing to hear them out the minute it becomes, you know, I can just hear the tone of the questions, 
the need and it's the time commitment. So I could yeah. have a 15 minute off conversation, but I can't have you call me consistently on how to tweet or which hashtags you should use. Sure. So it's just the level of comfort for me to say, I know what you're doing and I know in the future you may turn into something serious. So I can give you a few gold nuggets now, or we should have a retainer, or I could just give you project based tiered options to say, let's solve this problem for you and this one and this one. And then once those are done, you pretty much got the rest. And I could just be there as on retainer if you needed the serious questions answered yeah. or not. But my availability tends to be pretty late and pretty always. So to have that willingness, I have to be compensated. Give me a range for how much this costs, though. I mean, what, what's an average contract it's so hard look to say. like? Monthly, you know. <laughs> you don't have to say. No worries. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's, I don't want to scare people. Like, I'm going up humble. So you say numbers, it freaks people out. Yeah. You use tech figures and they're like, really? You know, it's, yeah. it's too wide to say it. I have to know you. And that's. Part of my value that I'm not going to come up with a number until I know who you are, where you are. I mean, yeah. And I want the consultative selling. Selling is the only way to do it, right? right? Uh, yeah. I'm, I have a sales job during the day, so I, I, I prescribe by the discovery <laughs> and all, all that whole theory. Uh, and it's good theory, you know. It is a good. No, yeah. I mean, shit works, right? More applicable shit to quantum works. theory. Well, yeah. Generally. I don't know anything about quantum theory. <laughs> I can't even use Excel. So let's, right let's, <laughs> uh, well, you saw the hoverboard. I saw the, the hoverboard. That's quantum. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's I called saw quantum locking. Very, very cool. cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Cool. So we'll get you out of here on a couple fun questions. My favorite part of the show is Joyce. like, you know, what, what kind of smoker are you? What kind of strain do you like? Are you sure. sativa, an indica guy? How do you like to smoke? You know, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm terpenes. You know, I've done a lot of stuff, especially with the labs. The terpenes where the magic happens. Yeah. The cannabinoids are those base. I love the whole chord, and that's all the notes inside there. And those terpenes really bring out value. The entourage effect proved that. Uh -huh. You can look up interesting conversations about that. So for me, I'm smelling it. And if it's like a candy jack or an OG, beautiful. If it's something that feels elevating, beautiful. Generally, I'm vaporizing. Mm. Only because I love the terpenes. When you smoke, you're losing a lot, mm -hmm. and it's very inefficient. However, socially... I love a joint with friends. Mm -hmm. I haven't done a bong in a long time, but I really want, you know, again, it's about you. So I would like to participate in your world of cannabis. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of meetings, I would be alienating a lot of people to say, I'm not going to smoke the joint. I've mm -hmm. even started smoking splits recently. Mm -hmm. and I, have I, mean, I can't get there. Yeah. I can't get there. You go to Europe and it's like 30% cannabis, 70% Yeah, because it's tobacco. very hard to get. Yeah, that's fair. But rolling a huge joint slash blunt of California chronic is too much for people and to do it socially in an occasion where everybody's outside smoking a cigarette am I really going to smoke a joint of a gram or can I just put some and have a nice buzz it does work yeah and I think this is the problem with new patients so often yeah. right with with new consumers is that's the mistake that they make right, right. they smoke way too much, way too much with their experienced friend and they have a negative experience and yes. they don't ever want to go back to that yeah. place right mm -hmm. and that's part of messaging as well right I mean Absolutely. making sure that everybody knows exactly how much is in here right because I remember the days where I would get a, an edible and it just would be crazy strong yeah. and there's stuff out there that's crazy strong crazy because you get comfortable with one edible you really have to stay vigilant when you switch brands yeah do you think that the the regulation in potency you know in labeling is sufficient do we need to have more there probably will be more yeah, yeah you look at other markets they have the 10 milligram per dose requirement yeah which is makes sense people are going to eat one i always say that this is still america when you talk about edibles we're putting food in medicine so that's saying that people's paradigm of how you take medicine is never going to be near the paradigm of how you consume food. Yeah. So to give somebody a brownie and say, yeah, eat three crumbs and you're going to be okay. 
it's never going to happen. Yeah. They eat Doritos by the bag. Yeah. So you have to have messaging. Especially we're talking about Americans, yeah. right? So you have to have messaging that allows you to have enough time before yeah. they have the pot packaging in their hand yeah. to say, this is how you approach this new product. Yeah. You know, it's a Harley. It's a, something that could hurt you. You have to listen to the rules. Wear your helmet. Wear your helmet. Wear your helmet. Very well said. We got to clip that out. That's that's a clip <laughs> for Facebook right there. Awesome. Well, dude, it's been an awesome conversation. Cool. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing. Uh, maybe just leave the audience with uh, some pitfalls. Are there like two or three pitfalls. things that you see cannabis customers do mm-hmm. or cannabis on, on social media, wherever, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, and it just pains you without giving up too much secret sure. sauce? Yeah. T- be aware of who's taking pictures. Be aware of the hashtags you're using and consider diversifying your messaging. So if you're sending a tweet out to stoners, don't use medical cannabis as a tweet or as a hashtag. Make sure that that conversation remains comfortable in their world. You're bringing a message. You're putting a billboard in their front yard and asking them to put it in their neighbor's front yard. Mm. That's what social media does. Mm -hmm. So if it's not something that is consistent with their group of friends, they may like it in secret, but you won't get that social public engagement it's all about engagement so don't judge your success by how many likes or followers you have look at the engagement look at how many click-throughs you're getting figure out what your goal is before you engage in a social media campaign and call it a campaign don't just call it our social media effort it's something that you need to measure and understand so that you could be more eloquent on behalf of your product well said eloquently said matt thanks a lot man it's been a lot of fun good meeting you are you on Twitter? Where should, how should people yeah, get a hold of you? Cannabis Strains. Cannabis Strains. Yeah. Cool. But that's not me personally, but that's one of the big accounts. Somebody wants to LinkedIn. email you or LinkedIn. Matthew J. Cote or Matthew at Technoverde. Got it. Got it. T-E-C-H-N-O-V-E-R-D-E. Good stuff. Yeah, we're uh, everywhere that you can consume anything. Uh, we are at Cannabis Podcast. We are on YouTube, Instagram. I don't mm-hmm. know if we have a Snapchat yet. Uh, I see we're on Periscope uh, literally right this moment, which is very <laughs> cool. We're planning some very cool Periscope stuff for our upcoming event, uh, which Matt is going to be a part of us. Yeah, so so thanks great. again for that. And uh, hey, thank you for watching. We really appreciate uh, you watching and supporting independent media. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, guys.